reading morning is Romans chapter 16, and it can be found on page 1142. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Kencray. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you as do Lucius, Jason and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel 
the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. There's almost a round of applause for that one, Steve. Well done. (laughs) Great. Please do keep those Bibles open as we look at Romans 16 together. And let me lead us now in a short prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we've just heard. Lord, please, would you speak to us this morning? Please speak to our minds, our hearts, our spirits. Please lay on our hearts what you want to teach us. And please help us by your Holy Spirit to obey your word for Jesus' sake. Amen. Abir is a 23-year-old trainee doctor. She is an ex-Muslim and became a Christian about two years ago. Uh, As a result of this, she has had to leave family who no longer welcome her, no longer welcome in the family home. She's had to change the way she dresses, the things that she does and doesn't eat. Who is going to be her friend? Lana is a sixth form student with uh, no Christian friends. She's grown up going to church with her parents here in Brighton. But she finds it increasingly hard. There are no Christians at her college. There's no CU. And she finds it tough to be able to talk to others about her faith. And now she just keeps quiet. Who is going to be Lana's friend? Albert is 82, and since his wife died five years ago, he's feeling increasingly lonely. He's isolated where he lives. He's finding it hard to read his Bible and pray. And he's worried that he's getting depression. He is afraid to speak out. Who is going to be Albert's friend? Well, what links these three people and all of us together is that we all need friends. But Paul goes further than that. He says, actually, for the Christian, they need a particular kind of friendship. They need friendships based in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They need gospel friendships, gospel friendships that grow. Friendships with people who share their faith in Christ. But not only that, not only friendships with people who share their faith in Christ, but friends who can keep them accountable, check up on them. Friends who can support them when they're down. Friends who can pray for them. Friends who can, friends who can lift them up. Friends who can love them for who they are. This isn't just about having nice company and and feeling warm and fuzzy on the inside. 
Paul realises how vital good Christian friendships, how vital gospel friendships are if the church is to fulfil its mission of sharing Jesus with the world. Now, if you're here today and perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you see yourself on, on a journey and not quite sure where you're at, two things. I wonder as you go through, as we go through this, do you see something in here, in these friendships that is missing from your own life? Because you should. Non-Christians should be able to look into the church and say, there's something there that I want. There's something there that, that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. A friendship that, that crosses political boundaries, crosses different age groups, crosses um, different traditions. Something that I want. Something that I don't see anywhere else. You see, this is important. I would go as far to say as actually there can be no long-lasting gospel witness where gospel friendships are absent. There can be no long-lasting gospel witness where gospel friendships are absent. And Paul's going to start off by showing why we need these kind of friendships. Because even the great apostle knew that he couldn't live an isolated life. He needed them. We need them. And at the end of these 15 chapters, I don't know how many months it's it's taken us going through these first 15 chapters of Romans. Uh, It's taken quite a while. Where Paul has shown us how God is glorified in a united church that is living out the implications of grace. That's what Paul's been showing in these 15 chapters. That God is glorified in a united church that is living out the implications of grace. And what he does now when he gets to this final chapter is make some very notable mentions. But this isn't like a bibliography that you might get at the end of an essay or or kind of just rolling credits at the end of a a movie or some passing acknowledgements. Romans 16 is actually the living application of everything Paul has been talking about in these first 15 chapters. So it should excite us when we read through these names, because this is precisely what Paul has been talking about. This is the implications of a community built around grace, seeking to bring God glory. This is a church made of Jews and Gentiles united in Christ. It's a church made of rich and poor, made of slave and free, made of introvert and extrovert, all united by the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And these people have names and these people have lives. And these are Paul's friends. Now, we can't do an in-depth study on on every single name in this passage. Um, Time doesn't afford that. Perhaps you want to go away and and, and check out a commentary and find out a little bit more about some of these other names. But I do want to pick up some particular ones that were obviously very significant to Paul. But why do we need these kind of gospel friendships? Two reasons Paul gives us. Firstly, these friends look out for us. These friends look out for us. Have a look with me at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Kenkre. 
I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So this first thing that we see, that these gospel friends, they look out for us. They look out for us. And Phoebe is a great example of that to the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul describes Phoebe as a deacon. It says there in the footnotes that the deacon, uh, in the original, it means a servant or a slave, someone whose responsibility is to put others first, to practically serve them in different ways. And perhaps this was as a recognised ministry or, or not. We don't quite know. But actually all Christians are called to be deacons, to be servants, to put the needs of others before their own. But we do know that Phoebe did have a particular ministry. In fact, it's Phoebe that we're thankful for in one sense, the fact that we have Romans in our Bibles at all. Because Paul had tasked her with delivering this letter to the church in Rome. And you wouldn't just do that with anyone, but only someone you deeply trusted. A real friend who would look out for you. Paul also calls her a benefactor or a protector of God's people. That means that that this is someone who goes beyond normal friendship to protect her friends, to look out for them. And actually that's the kind of friendship that we should want. Someone who looks out for us. Now, we might think that that might be only when we get ourselves into trouble and they're looking out for us, helping us out. But sometimes it can be the other way around, too. And that's when it can get a bit more difficult. Perhaps if we are living in a way that doesn't match what we believe. Actually, hearing a rebuke from a friend. That may be more necessary than a kind, encouraging word. We may need to hear some hard news about ourselves. And no one likes that. I know I don't when my friends call me up on what I'm doing. But it might be the same for us. We might be timid from telling our friends the truth about their behaviour too. But this is why Paul says we need gospel friends, people like Phoebe who look out for us. But we also need people who are going to work alongside us as well. Have a look with me at uh, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches, the Gentiles, are grateful to them. So Paul says the second kind of people that we need as gospel friends are people who work alongside us. Now, we do actually come across Priscilla and Aquila elsewhere in the New Testament. If you're looking through uh, the book of Acts and get to uh, Acts chapter 18, we meet Priscilla and Aquila for the first time. And just like Paul, they were also tent makers. They made tents for a living to support their ministry. But we know other things about them. They didn't just make tents. Um, But they were people who understood the gospel. They understood the implications of being justified, being made right with God by grace. But they were also hospitable as well. Acts 18 tells us they would invite people in. They invited Apollos in to teach him more eloquently about the gospel. They were people then who were able to explain And Paul counted them as co-workers. This is the Apostle Paul, St. Paul. And he says, this couple who are living this humble life, who are willing to risk everything, I put them on a level with myself. They are co-workers. 
And they've demonstrated their friendship to me and the fact that they are willing to risk everything, even willing to risk their lives. They are willing to put their neck on the line, not only for Christ, but also for publicly aligning themselves with me. Sometimes we only see the true depth of friendship when material comforts are threatened or even our lives can be threatened. Are we the kind of friends who would be willing to stick with someone even if it threatened our own material comforts, even if it threatened our own lives? Are we those kind of friends? I'm not sure that I am most of the time. Well, that is why Paul says he and and all the churches are so grateful for these friends. Friends who showed they were willing to die for him and the gospel. That's why we need them. Well, secondly, then, what do they look like? What, What typifies these kind of gospel friends? Well, Paul lists all sorts of things about these friends. Very briefly, an overview. That these friends, they are servants of Jesus They are co-workers, he's just mentioned. They are life riskers. They are church hosts. They are willing to open up their whole houses and use them as churches, despite all the noise and the mess and everything. They are prisoners. They are dear friends, hard workers. They are like mothers. They are writers. They are hospitable. But three things I want to pick out from that list of what Paul describes about his friends. And the first one is that they will be willing to suffer with you. We have a look at verse 7. And Paul writes, Greet Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. And because of that, he says, they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. So three things we learn about Andronicus and Junior. Firstly, they were fellow Jews, so they've grown up in a Jewish heritage. Perhaps by this, um, he means they were the tribe of Benjamin, like Paul was, we're not sure. But they share that kind of heritage with Paul. But we also know that they have been believers for a long time. In fact, believers since before Paul came to faith and was converted. But the thing that Paul wants to highlight is that these guys, were, they were fellow prisoners with him. They were willing to suffer imprisonment with Paul. And imprisonment in Paul's day could have been, well, it could have varied. In the end of Acts, we see Paul is under house arrest in Rome. Now, in terms of imprisonment in Paul's day, that wasn't too bad. It allowed Paul to have a certain degree of freedom, although he was confined to to one place. But we also know that Paul would have been in, in much more squalid conditions, lowered down into dark, dirty prisons, places that were full of disease and full of dangerous criminals. And those are the kind of places that his friends were willing to go with him, down into the darkest, dirtiest most dangerous places. I wonder if we're the kind of friends who would do that, willing to suffer, to go to the darkest, the hardest places with our friends. One of our goals for this year is uh, on mental health awareness, which we're thinking about as, as a church. And something that the research comes through time and time again is actually the biggest need in terms of supporting people with mental health illness is actually just friends. Friends who are willing to go and be with people in those dark, dangerous places. Can we be those kind of friends? Do we need those kind of friends? When someone starts speaking bad about us, do we have kind of friends that won't join in? 
who stick up for us, who are willing to face being treated differently because they are our friends. Well, secondly, the kind of friends these gospel friends look like is they are friends who love you like you are family. Have a look at 13 and 14. Paul says, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas and the other brothers and sisters with them. Paul lists these people here and he counts them as if they are mothers and brothers and sisters. They are the kind of friends. Now that's not the first time we've heard this kind of language in the New Testament. Paul just doesn't invent this idea that these people in the church are like a mother and brother and sister to him. We see this in the Gospel. Jesus saying in Mark chapter 3, when his mother and his siblings come and they're worried about what he is doing. They think Jesus is getting himself into trouble. They don't like where this could lead. And they want him to come away, come back to the family. And Jesus says, who is my mother and my brother and sister? Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Jesus defines then a new way of relating to one another. One of being part of a new family. A new family. A family based on doing the will of God. And what is the will of God? It is to believe in the name of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And with that believing, with that belonging, with that new family, comes the blessing of friendship that is deeper than any family here on earth. Now, family life can and does get really hard sometimes. Perhaps you know that very personally here this morning. Family life can get hard. But the one defining thing about family that Paul wants us to draw from this is that family is always family. Family is always family. That's what Paul is getting at. And that's even truer for those who trust in Christ. Because when you trust in Christ, you are united with him and by that united with others. That because of that union with Christ... Paul experiences a connection with these people even deeper than if they were his flesh and blood relatives. So I want you to look around today at the people around you. Perhaps you don't want to make eye contact, that's a bit awkward. But look around the people today. Think about those names that Giles was saying that we want to write down that we're thankful for. These people around us are closer than flesh and blood. They are our mothers our brothers, our sisters. That is the kind of friendship that the gospel offers that nothing else in the whole world brings to us. Friends who love you like your family. And thirdly, friends that work hard. You see, Paul says good friendship isn't just passive. It's not just this thing that we enjoy without doing anything. It's also something active too. Have a look at verse 6. 
Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Have a look at verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Paul lists four women who, four women who he counts as good friends. Why? Because they work so hard. They labour with an intensity that is unrivaled that 2,000 years later we are still remembering and celebrating. Paul recognises the lengths that these women have gone to for the gospel. Perhaps they're mindful of, of Paul's teaching here in Colossians 3.23 where he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. That is willing to go that extra step to expend their time, their money and energy for Christ. And not only for Christ, but for Paul as well and for his ministry. I wonder if you experience those kind of friendships. People going the extra mile for you. People working very hard for you. Co-workers in the gospel. Have you experienced friends sitting up all night with you, weeping with you, after a relationship breaks up? Have you experienced friends who come round to your door with a bag of shopping or maybe a cooked meal, keeping you fed because you're unable to go shopping, maybe because of depression? I wonder, have you experienced friends like, like my dad had when I was young and uh, he was out of work? A friend from the church who would bring round ironed shirts for him to give him a sense of dignity when he didn't have a job. Have you experienced friends going the extra mile for you? Now, I don't know what your reaction is as you think about these kind of friendships. Um, I've got two. Um, The first one is I really want friends like this. I really want friends like this who are willing to suffer with me, who will treat me like family, closer than family, and who will work hard to bless me. But on the other side of that, I wish I was a friend like that. I wish I was a friend like that. But none of us are. Now this will be the case in a, in a fallen, sinful world. None of us are the kind of friends that we know we should be. But Paul doesn't want us to give up hope. Which is why in this chapter he counsels us on some things and on some people that we should avoid. And the first kind of people he talks about are dividers and stumblers. Have a look at verse 17. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Paul is saying that there are some people that it would be foolish to be close friends with. That doesn't mean that you can't be nice to them or you can't love them. You can't share your faith with them or or do things together. But there is a level of friendship that you shouldn't experience with them that you should experience with other believers. Because these are people who do not have your best at heart. People who look to trip you up. That might be subtle. I always say, beware of of the subtlety when it comes to sin. People who perhaps subtly look to lead you away from the truth of the gospel, not by shouting in your face and telling you to stop going to church, but perhaps just little snide remarks by making you feel a bit stupid that you come to church and that you believe in Jesus. 
Perhaps there are other things they say. Perhaps it might be in saying that things like the cross, they're not necessary. Why, why do we believe in, 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 in a God who would uh, allow his son to die on the cross? Because God's going to forgive people anyway. Little things that cut away at the truth of the gospel. Paul says, don't let them into your heart to that deep level. We must protect ourselves against them, particularly if you are a new believer. Now, please do meet up with them if you want and, and, and talk with them and love them. But don't allow them to that level of friendship. And why? Well, that's made clear in verse 18. Paul says, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ. They do not have that most fundamental connection with you, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Paul says that these people are serving themselves, not serving God. Now, this is an easy thing to do. Because all of us, I think, to some degree, want to look for an easy life. And one way that we too... Uh, tend to do that and enjoy it is by flattery because flattery feels good doesn't it when people say wonderful things about you oh you feel good you feel great but flattery might feel great in a friendship and there is occasions for it but the bible says that actually it might do more harm than good proverbs 28:23 says this Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favour rather than one who has a flattering tongue. You see, a flattering tongue can actually sometimes conceal and hide the truth. Imagine going along to a doctor and you've got some illness that you're worried about, you think you might have. And the doctor looks at you and he can clearly tell that there is something wrong. But he doesn't want to tell you the hard news, the truth. So instead, he employs flattery and tells you everything is fine, you're in perfect health, nothing to worry about, come back in a year. That is not what you want a doctor to be doing. It may sound great and you skip out of the doctor's surgery feeling great, but actually what you might need to hear is the truth, not a flattering tongue, that there is something wrong. But if you take this, then this, uh, this medicine or this treatment, then this gives you the best chance of recovery. A flattering tongue is no good in a doctor's surgery and it's no good in a church when it's not true. When there is something wrong that needs to be spoken about. But Paul says it's not just others we have to watch out for. We also have to watch out for our own sinfulness. Verse 19. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Paul starts off by saying, look, the things that we've heard about you and your faith in Christ are very good. Thumbs up for that. But still, in a fallen sinful world, there's always the danger of sin affecting your own heart and life. Even in this family of gospel friends, it's still possible for sin to cause havoc. And it does, doesn't it? So Paul says two things. He says, be wise about what is good. Fill your mind, fill your heart with with things that, that build you up and enable you to be a better gospel friend. And at the same time, be innocent about evil. Don't read up on all the gory details of the latest sordid piece of news, if that's going to do more harm than good. Now It's, it's hard to remain completely innocent, and, and unless we hide ourselves in a bubble, we can't. And we shouldn't be surprised at sin. 
But that doesn't mean we have to go to extreme lengths to fill our minds full of it. Because what we are feeding our minds will affect actually the kind of friends we will be. Instead, look to be wise in what is good. Great little book that's helped me think more about friendship that I need to reread um, by Vaughan Roberts called True Friendship. It's a little book, I'm sure if you get it, if you speak to Tony at the bookstore, pop down to Books Alive, you can get a copy um, nice and cheap, just a small little ten of those books about friendship. What a great thing that we can be doing this year to be thinking about how we can be good friends, good gospel friends, being wise about what is good. That's what we should avoid. But it's hard, all of this, isn't it? Hard to be this kind of friend. Which is why Paul finishes off his whole letter to the Romans, counselling us that any friendship that we offer or receive must be rooted in a greater friendship. And this is how, that's the book, um, this is how we sustain those friendships. Verse 25 to 27. Paul finishes. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul says we sustain ourselves, we sustain those friendships by being rooted in a deeper friendship, in our friendship with Jesus Christ. Because Paul says that Jesus is the one who establishes us. He is the one who strengthens us, establishes us in accordance with the gospel. Verse 25. Three ways quickly that he does that. Firstly, Jesus models what great gospel friendship looks like because only Jesus models a gospel friendship that is completely sacrificial that puts others needs before his own only Jesus models a gospel friendship that is completely compassionate only Jesus models gospel friendship that is forgiving that enables that true familial connection brothers sisters Only Jesus offers that gospel friendship that is truly transforming, that changes us from the inside out. He models what gospel friendship looks like. But secondly, Jesus strengthens us through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. He gives us the ability to be those kind of friends that we know we should be. But thirdly, and the one that Paul wants us to focus on, that Jesus is the only one who takes the burden of friendship that others cannot attain. Like it or not, we will let our friends down and our friends will let us down. Sometimes that provokes people into leaving church altogether. They've been hurt, sometimes really badly hurt. Our friends will let us down, we'll let our friends down. And it's mind, it's, we need to be mindful of that this year as we think about growing in our friendships with one another, that we, we will from time to time fail. Maybe that's uh, failing because we want to avoid suffering. We don't want to tell our friends the hard truths that they need to hear. Perhaps it's because we'll struggle to forgive those who have hurt us. Or perhaps it's a bit like me, actually you're just 
not very good at keeping up communication with your friends. I'm very grateful for my friends who are much better at keeping up with communication with me than I am with them. I need to grow this year being better at communicating with my friends. But this is no problem for Jesus. This is no problem for him. It's only by that transformational friendship with Christ that we can experience that kind of friendship that we desire with the people around us. Jesus is the one who establishes us in that friendship and we look to him to get what other friends cannot give us. So at the end of of Romans, as Paul is, is, is drawing all this stuff together, he says, so pursue these kind of gospel friendships. This is the application, this is living out the implications of the whole of Paul's letter to the Romans. See the need that we have, each one of us, for gospel friendships. We cannot do this thing called faith on our own. We cannot. We need these gospel friendships. So work hard to develop them. Flee from the things that damage them. But most importantly, trust in the friend who has loved you more than any other. Amen.